Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Patty Vandekamp, and I am the Director of Pastoral Care here at Bethany. And I'm so glad that you are joining with us this morning. So if you've been following us the past couple of weeks, you know that we have been looking at the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians can be summarized in the word encouragement. Throughout the letter, Paul is encouraging the people in Philippi to live out lives that are obedient to God and that are uplifting to one another. And last week, Pastor Andrew talked about trusting. He talked about trusting God the same way that Paul did. And he talked about thanking God for where he is working and where he has worked in his life. It's funny how things turn out. A year ago, I spoke about expectations. I spoke on Philippians 1, verses 1 to 5, and Paul's joy despite uncertainty. I shared a year ago how about the, how about the only thing certain in the world was uncertainty. A year ago, I shared about my son not having a regular graduation, not knowing that a year later, my daughter also wouldn't have a normal graduation. And I was disappointed for them. I didn't know that we would still be here still living in these unsettled, disoriented times. I also shared that I believe that our expectations can never be met or be satisfied without drawing our most profound satisfaction from Jesus. And today we are going to look at a scripture that clearly gives us an understanding of someone who found his most profound satisfaction in Jesus. Today we are going to look at the life of Paul again and see how he lived his life during his own unsettled times. And most importantly, I want to talk about Paul's focus and what he lived for. I'm really excited to share about this today. As I've been studying this text, I couldn't help but think, wow, I really want to be like Paul. I would love to have the center of my being so focused on Jesus like he did. It's really incredible. The reality is I have struggled this past year to keep my focus where it should be. I have a hard time really living in the present. I have a hard time living in the present because I always have so many things that I need to do. And my mind is often thinking about the next things that need to be done. I have felt like there has been a constant tug of war on my mind and my time and my thoughts. And some days I felt like I was living in a mental fog, but I just had to keep going because things needed to get done. And then other days I would feel incredibly anxious. Thankfully, somewhere along the way, I figured out that this is actually a normal reaction to a very abnormal year, and these feelings were real, and sometimes they still are. I believe that God knew that we would be anxious people. That is, what, that is why, in the Bible, the phrase, do not fear, is used over 300 times. God knew we would wrestle with dark days. Even King David so poetically wrote about his soul's downcast nature in the Psalms, and it's all to point us in one direction, to Jesus. And so today, we are going to look at the Apostle Paul and talk about one of the greatest texts in the Bible. This is a text that so many Christians claim as their life verse. A key verse in the passage we are going to look at are Paul's words, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is a text I don't think so many of us truly understand. We don't actually grasp the depths or the height of it or the implications of living it. What does it actually mean to live as Christ and to die is gain? Paul is referring to his likely imminent and painful death, but he knew that in death he would actually gain. He could lay down all of his struggles. He could complete his race and enter into the presence of God for all of eternity. And as we begin, I want to take you back to the year 61 AD. The Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome and he's waiting for trial before Caesar. 
He had been arrested as an opponent against the Roman Empire, and so Paul is faced with the very real possibility of losing his life because of his faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Caesar had the power of death, had power over death, and used that power without hesitation. He would use the sword, the sword against anyone who would create unrest in the Roman Empire. He would use a sword against any threat to maintain the stability of the political and social order of the day. As Paul stands trial, word, had, word has reached many churches, and those churches were deeply concerned for the welfare of Paul because he had been a spiritual father to them, especially the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi is worried for him because he is the one who first preached the gospel to them. Paul had a deep friendship with the church in Philippi. Paul brought faith in Christ to people who would later form the core of a flourishing church there. The church started with the conversion of three people, not 3,000 people, but just three people. The first was a woman, and her name was Lydia. The second person was a fortune teller, and the third was a prison guard. And if you want to read more about that, you can look that up in the book of Acts. And now Paul is in chains. He is in prison, and his very life and neck are on the line and it appears that his life may be taken soon. The church is wondering whether or not Paul will survive this imprisonment and live, or if he will die. Paul writes a letter to the Philippians in response to their attempt to reach out to him, to encourage him, to support him because of his imprisonment. But what happens is that the letter encourages them. They intend to comfort Paul, but it is Paul who comforts them and strengthens them in their own concerns for him. There is something we can learn from Paul here. It's tempting to read through this passage quickly and only see the story in it, to oversimplify it and not see how much God is working in it. So this morning, we are going to be looking at Philippians 1, 20 to 26. But before I do, I want to invite you to consider a few things. I invite you to look at Paul and think about seeing the art of God's purpose by working through suffering. I invite you to think about times of waiting how does Paul model waiting? I invite you to look at Paul's attitude of being an encouragement despite his circumstances. I invite you to think about Paul's focus because Paul is laser focused on Jesus and because of that, his faith never wavers. Yes, he would have had feelings to work through just like we do, but Paul could distinguish between belief and emotion. And I want us to learn from Paul's experience with suffering so that we can face our own struggles. We need to remember that Paul is speaking to the Philippians from a place of pain. So now I'm going to channel our founding pastor, Pastor Larry Schantz, and quote from Charles Swindle. He says that Paul developed a theology of pain. Paul knew firsthand what it meant to be mistreated, to be misunderstood, to be forsaken, to be forgotten, to be shipwrecked, and now imprisoned and left for dead. So let's read the text together. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing all of this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. 
And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. One of the things I appreciate, appreciate most about this passage is that Paul's physical circumstances are out of his hands, and he understands that. Paul's life is Christ. Paul's relationship with Christ was so close that his entire existence derived its meaning from his Lord because that was his focus. Prior to verse 21, even imprisonment by unbelieving authorities and animosity from fellow believers would, could not decrease the joyful character of Paul's life. God was advancing the gospel through Paul's hardship. And so I want to talk about what that means a bit because I believe there is a message here for us I believe there is a message here for the present day church. We don't like to suffer. Suffering produces in us a crisis of meaning. But as Christians, we aren't immune to it. We need to ask, what does the suffering mean? One of the challenges that I mentioned earlier was about seeing the art of God's purpose by working through suffering. And I want to explain that a little bit more. Although hard to understand at times, suffering can be one of the most significant paths to understand the undeserved grace of God. In my own suffering, I have to remind myself to not view it as inconvenient or a disruption in my plans. I need to remind myself to look at it through the lens of Christ's presence with me in the suffering. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And if I can think of it that way, I will better be able to trust that whatever cross God asks me to carry, that it can and will be used by him to accomplish his good purposes. Now, what about your own experience with suffering? How do you respond to it? What is out of your hands right now? Where have you begged God to intervene? What are you waiting for on him? If you are familiar with Paul, you would remember that he had a thorn in the flesh. And what did he want God to do? He wanted God to take it away. He begged and pleaded for God to take it away. And God did answer Paul. He said, no. But what does he say yes to? Grace. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. This is kind of a hard pill to swallow. Do I desire for things to go better sometimes and for healing to take place? I sure do. I wish God would take away my struggles, my anxieties, and my worries for the future. Do I wrestle with God about these things? Yes, I do. I wrestle with him because I know he's powerful enough, but he hasn't worked that way in my life. But I have to learn to trust that he has a better plan for me in the same way that Paul did. But I know he is working in other ways in me. I have a secure identity in him, and I have the forgiveness of my sins. And I have a desire to reflect him more and more in my life, and I am so grateful for his grace. His grace humbles me. I am humbled that Jesus willingly, willingly and knowingly entered into a horrible suffering to offer the ulti ultimate sacrifice, his very life, even while we rejected him and were oblivious of our needs for him. We need to be reminded of Christ's sacrifice. He gave up his comfort, his earthly reputation, his very life, so that we can have far more one day. We see in Paul that Christ is more than life itself, and the joy and progress of his fellow Christians is more, import more important than departing to be with Christ. In verse 20 it says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will honor, that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. 
This is the same Paul who admitted that he was the chief of sinners. And I want to pause here and think about Paul was before his conversion. In Acts 7, I'm going to be reading from the message, we read about Stephen, one of the first Jesus followers, who was stoned to death for his faith. I'm starting in verse 54. At that point, they went wild, a rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He had only eyes for God, whom he saw in all his glory with Jesus standing at the side. He said, Oh, I see heaven wide open and the Son of Man standing at God's side. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in full stampede, they dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man, Saul, who we now know to be Paul, to watch them. And the rocks rained down. Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin, his last words. Then he died. And then we read, and Paul was right there, congratulating the killers. Paul later says in Timothy 1.15, I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received for all. For Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life, even me, the worst sinner of all. And he thought himself as the worst sinner of all because of his former life. Paul was a well-off, highly respected, high-ranking Pharisee who hated and persecuted Christians. And then one day, miraculously, on the road to Damascus, God knocked him off his high horse. He blinded him and revealed himself to Paul. All of Paul's pride left in one moment. And quoting Swindoll again, he says, and I love this, pride doesn't have a place in the hearts of the broken, the split apart, the wounded, the anguished of soul. Let me repeat that. Pride doesn't have a place in the hearts of the broken, the split apart, the wounded, the anguish of soul. Paul's life was forever changed because he understood the extraordinary power of God's grace. And once that grace was received, his ministry began, and so did his suffering. Regardless of what Paul will go through, he says in chapter 3, verse 8, to truly know him, Jesus, meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing away all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now, so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all his greatness. N.T. Wright says this, Saul of Tarsus, in other words, had found a new vocation. It would demand all the energy, all the zeal that he had devoted to his former way of life. He was now to be a herald of the king. Paul's life was forever changed because of the grace of Jesus. He explains that no matter what, whether he lives or whether he dies, either way is gain. Paul sees his Christian life in a win-win situation. If he lives, that is victory. But if his life is taken, that too is victory. He writes in the following verses, in fact, that he cannot decide which he really wants to experience. Release from prison and live with Christ here on the earth or to die and go immediately into the presence of Christ, who has died for him and purchased his salvation. And so we read in verse 22, But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So really, I don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. Paul is saying I'm, in tor- or I'm torn in two directions. I cannot decide whether to prefer life or to prefer death. I think it could be tempting to soften the impact of this message or of this passage, to think of it as an ideal. But Paul means it literally. He is torn between living and dying. 
I think it's safe to say that for most people, we wouldn't choose the option of death, we would choose the option of life. And quite honestly, I wrestle with that myself and am trying to understand it. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. He says, am I afraid to die? I am every time I let myself be seduced by the noisy voices of my world telling me that my little life is all I have and advising me to cling to it with all my might. But, but, when I let those, but when I let these voices move to the background of my life and listen to that small, soft voice calling me the beloved, I know that there is nothing to fear and that dying is the greatest act of love, the act that leads me into the internal embrace of my God, whose love is everlasting. I believe for Paul, he knew that dying is the greatest act of love, especially the sacrificial death he was faced with, faced with the act that would lead him into the eternal embrace of his God, whose love is everlasting. Paul was waiting and anticipating being with Jesus. Paul models waiting on God's timing in the midst of his difficulty. It's easy to think of Paul as only dealing with pain and suffering on earth, but his true longing was to be with Jesus. And Paul is torn between departing and going to be with Jesus or staying on earth. Reading again in verse 23, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. That is heaven for Paul. Heaven for Paul is not streets of gold and pearly gates. It is Christ. Christ is everything for Paul. And Paul can face the reality of his possible departure by death with a cheerful and vibrant outlook because he knows death will be his passage into the immediate, immediate presence of Christ. What an eternal perspective. What a way to live. What a way to approach death. And then, almost regretfully, he says in verse 24, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Meaning not departing now to be with the Lord, having, having his life taken by Caesar, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for the sake of spreading the gospel. Paul would prefer to be in heaven with Christ, but he is willing to wait and remain to continue his ministry. He says in verse 25, Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Paul understood that there was a mission and a purpose for his life. His purpose was to spread the gospel and be an instrument to be used in the lives of others. And God wasn't finished with his mission for Paul yet. And so Paul had to be okay with waiting and following God's plan with him in his waiting. I'm quoting Henry now and again. He says, a waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. Paul knows that the spread of the gospel will continue to be revealed while he is living on earth. I believe the only way anyone can live like this which may actually sound a little bit unusual, and the only way anyone can face death like this is to live completely for Jesus Christ. It's not living for a church, a religion, a spiritual leader, or anything else. At death, all of these things are lost. Paul's statement, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, is his personal statement. Paul is saying that regardless of how anyone else is living their life, regardless of what those around him are doing, Regardless of what the world says, Paul is living for Christ. Paul was at peace in his circumstances. He was focused on Jesus. And things weren't necessarily going his way. Paul is in jail when he really wanted to be on a missionary journey. 
but Paul had a choice on what he was going to focus on. And while Paul was locked up for most of his ministry, he used this time to live for Jesus. And what did he do? He wrote letters. He sent words and prayers of encouragement and inspiration to the churches that he had planted. He used his experiences and wisdom to call them to live for Jesus and to never give up. Today in our lives, suffering and pain seem to do nothing more than rob us of joy and happiness. But in time, God often uses it to increase and deepen our joy and freedom in him as it drives us to Christ and lifts our eyes heavenward. He gradually opens our eyes to the treasure, joy, and hope of being forgiven and loved. And that's what Paul is talking about because that's what happened to him. I would say that Paul has a settled peace, an inner calm, a hope that arises from making Jesus the focus of his life. And my last Charles Swindoll quote, he says, happiness is a byproduct of contentment. Once Saul discovered that, he lived it. I'm not fully there yet. Most likely, neither are you. And so we press on together, growing and learning, reminding ourselves that he must increase and we must decrease. Remember, it's all about him and not us. I understand that for many listening today, your suffering and your struggles are undeserved. I also understand that suffering comes in different forms. It can be physical, emotional, or spiritual. And I also believe that our suffering can be the, re the result of the sins of others in our lives. I have seen many people struggle this past year. They've heard negative diagnosis. There's been financial crisis. I have seen people deal with mental health that have never had experienced it before. And so much of the suffering that I have witnessed has been undeserved. And that makes it really hard to stay focused on Jesus. I understand. But I believe that it's possible. And maybe you're in a place right now where it's really hard to understand the situation that you're in. But I encourage you not to give up on the one who loves you more than anyone can. I encourage you to keep your eyes focused on Jesus. How do we do that? By trusting that he will be enough and that he will use the journey that you are on for your good and his glory. I want to sum up today by reading from Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3 from the message. And this is so, so good. It says, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, or whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. I love that. When we're struggling, just go over the story of Jesus again, item by item. We can endure by focusing on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your grace. Lord, we thank you for Paul. Uh, we thank you for his life and his ministry and for the example that he is to us. And Lord, I pray for all those who are suffering and struggling right now, God. I just pray that you would be the focus of their lives, that you would reach in, Lord, and, and comfort them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go, let me encourage you to find and strengthen your focus on Jesus so we can move past merely existing and actually truly living. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And throughout the week, may we be confident of Jesus working in our lives and calling us to him.
go in his peace.